and welcome to a special Christmas-themed episode of Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and tonight I have some jingle bells. <laughs> and your other host, Elsia123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus, who did indeed die for our sins. <laughs> and we are here tonight to talk about how the A stole Christmas, and wow, how they did steal it. <laughs> this is a bonker standalone holiday episode with all kinds of glittery gifts thrown at the wall as the writers try to see what sticks. Yes, this is an episode that is uh, wildly inconsistent in its tone. It features the liars being naive and jumping to conclusions. It has way too much going on with the boys. Uh, but it also features some queerness, some Spana and some Vandermeeren. Uh, good A tension, some funny moments, a big dance, and ghost Mona. Yes, so, yes. We know. have the massive blizzard that leaves virtually no snow on the ground. We have Toby and Spencer's rear window cosplay. Uh, and we have Hannah as the grieving window, thinking she's the only surviving member of Vandermeeren, and also possibly the most interesting Allison episode of the last three seasons. Yes, agreed. Um, and possibly the introduction of Mary Drake. Before we get into the episode, though, I have an, a very important question to ask you. Which okay. Is, what do you get the liars for Christmas? What oh, would you get the liars for Christmas? Listen, I love giving gifts and I love thinking about the liars as if they're real people and my friends. So, so <laughs> I really am enjoying this question. Um, Spencer, I would get her an extravagant bag of coffee, uh, possibly infused with bourbon or something like that. Uh, okay. A leather-bound edition of Sherlock Holmes and possibly a tie rack for all of her very queer look neckties. Nice. Um, for Hannah, I feel like jewelry, maybe a necklace would be a good choice. Uh, fancy hot chocolate with like, you know, artisanal marshmallows. Uh, maybe a simple favor since she does like mystery novels. Um, there you go. For Aria, I would say one of those like fascinator hats, like the kind <laughs> this eugenie ward william and kate's wedding uh, yep. a lovely set of to catch a predator dvds <laughs> and uh maybe nancy milford's biography of zelda fitzgerald i would say oh i love it uh for emily uh, my first first thought best thought is suspenders um that, that you could say is more of a gift to me than to her <laughs> Um, I, or I, to I, I stand by the decision it's a gift to the universe uh, great expectations or possibly fingersmith since that's kind of a lesbian Dickensian hybrid novel uh, and maybe a Christmas ornament of the Eiffel Tower uh, for Allison I would go with a paper blanks journal since we know that she does like to keep a diary um, some lighting solutions for the home. Uh, I feel like there is like no light in the De Laurentiis house ever. So lighting <laughs> solutions for the home uh, and also an extremely warm micro fleece or cashmere blanket. Uh, there are also a hundred scenes where she's waking up in various places in her home and there are never any blankets. So these are like to feed Allison's spiritual need for light and warmth and also to find her voice. Uh, I think they would be very helpful. Um, for Mona, I would go with a framed picture of her with the liars, uh, maybe some Tatcha beauty products. I'm not sure about this, but I feel like hyperadrenalized reality might tend to dry you out. Um, <laughs> Blanche Weissenkirk's biography of Eleanor Roosevelt, volumes one through three, 
or maybe Jeanette Winterson's The Gap of Time. Uh, also some general group idea gifts, pepper spray, panic rooms, self-defense classes, therapy session gift certificates, and or black dresses because you can never really have <laughs> enough of those in Rosewood. So that is my shopping guide for the liars for this holiday season. Oh my goodness. Those are some great answers. Those are some really, really great answers. You, you went, you went very specific and I like it. I like it. <laughs> <sighs> I like it a lot. Um, I, I'll just say, I'll just quickly, quickly say my much less detailed shopping list for the liars. Um, for Hannah, at this point in the story, I'm suggesting uh, Truth and Beauty by Ann Patchett, which mm. is a memoir all about grieving a friend who has just died from when after a very complicated friendship. Um, for Spencer, I think she'd probably enjoy um, one of those escape room things where you have to solve your way out of it. Oh, that's um, practical, too. That's good. That's good training. Yeah. Right. Um, for Emily, a new car that can't be bugged. <laughs> Um, I know it's a big gift, but I think she really needs it. Uh, a bunch of doll parts. And also, I think she'd really enjoy Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. Mm. Um, and for Aria, a police report. Yes. 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 And maybe some resources on uh, on getting out of, out of a pred- predatory relationship. What would you give so. for Allison? A lump of coal at this point in the series? A lump of coal. I know. How terrible is this? I didn't even include Allison. Um, I included Mona, but not Allison. I don't know why. She's so separate from the liars in this episode. I guess, um, gosh, for Allison. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe like some, some uh, that, oh, I know. I know. That recipe that Mary Drake and um, and Rollins will use later in the series of like the like super super easy coconut oil masks that you just like <laughs> whip it up real quick and it like suddenly looks exactly like somebody else. Um, I think that I think that Allison could probably find a lot of use for that recipe. So, that's that, you know that's a super. That's good what I'm gonna call. say. Uh, if you have thoughts on what you would get the liars uh, for Christmas or for other holidays, please shoot us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> to, uh, to briefly recap where we are in this episode, uh, everyone thinks that Mona is dead, although she actually faked her own death and was then nabbed by A and is now in the dollhouse. Uh, Toby did one day of police training and then broke his leg in a car accident. Spencer has been arrested for the murder of Bethany Young and is currently out on bail. Allison is estranged from the group because they all think that she murdered Mona. And Paige and Emily are very recently, like the previous episode, back together. Let's dig in. And and Ezra continues to be the worst. Oh well, yes, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's a standard disclaimer, but uh, yeah, he is his he is he is his absolute worst in this episode. But we'll get. There. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, the previous these are like Mona died for their sins. Yes, like. I, I love all of the Mona as Jesus, Vander Jesus stuff that was in the last episode and is in this episode. I'm a big fan. Um, but we open on the Rosewood Square. A uh, kind of pop version of, um, of Sleigh Ride is playing as the liars walk together. Uh, Emily is somewhat inappropriately jolly in this scene. She is, she, as we know, she does love Christmas, <laughs> but she is... 
um, asking what Spencer is going to get Toby this year. And Spencer explains that she's abstaining from Christmas. Uh, they've, she and Toby have agreed to no presents, just a gesture. Spencer is very concerned that this is her last Christmas, not behind bars. Uh, Hannah still has her identity crisis hair with the black stripes. And, um, and the liars come upon a little like place where you can write a wish, I suppose. They, uh, they, Emily suggests writing a wish for Spencer. Uh, and Hannah is very, very sad as she remembers the last time she was in this place, which was with Mona. This triggers us into a Vandermeer and flashback. Oh, yes. We have Hannah in a gorgeous pink faux fur and Mona in a stylish plaid peacoat staring at the shop windows. And Hannah asks Mona what she wished for. Mm. Mona. Mona's wish, to the surprise of certainly not me, was about Hannah. Uh, <laughs> claims that her wish was, uh, you're my first friend, Hannah. I wished we'd always stay close. Hannah tells her, we will, I promise. Uh, now, I actually believe that Mona's wish was something similar to what she articulates here. Uh, I think this is just another incidence of, you know, Mona loves Hannah, and she's just trying so hard to tell her in the right way. Um, yes. Hannah, Agreed. you know, Hannah wished for Jimmy Choo's, and Mona vows that if Santa doesn't bring them, they'll steal them, and they just waltz off arm in arm, a couple of gals. Arm? In <laughs> exactly exactly it's so sweet and there's like this very bright um like light filter on the flashback that just it's like it's like we've dropped into a rom-com or something it's so incredibly cute it really um, it really is and i believe that mona is the type of person who knows that if you tell someone what your wish was it won't come true so i think that mona's wish was close to what she tells hannah here but maybe just a maybe just a little bit different. <laughs> what do you think her wish was? I mean, I think her wish was that she and Hannah would get closer wearing only their Jimmy shoes. That's that's what I think, <laughs> uh, her her wish summary might have been. So this is this is meant to take place pre-series? Yes. Is that what we're saying? Yes, I yeah. it, it is uh, it is probably during the uh, the lost year when Allison was gone and Arya was in Iceland. Right, right. Yeah, so Moda's wish might have been for Sean to fall off a cliff or something. Um, possibly. Uh, yes, back in the present day, uh, the liars are, 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 some, are feeling a little sad and a little grim. Spencer says, of course, that hope is a dirty four-letter word. Emily, the relentless optimist, doesn't, doesn't really say that she thinks Mona is alive, but is basically implying that maybe Mona could be alive. They haven't found the body. Um, of course, it is noted that A likes to play with the body parts. Uh, and we learn that Allison is throwing an ice ball. And of course, the liars who have uh, decided now that Allison is a cold-blooded murderer. Uh, Emily has the interesting line, ruin one of us, ruin all of us, when Spencer notes that Allison is ruining her Christmas. Yes, and the strength of the group dynamic, I just want to point out, is in such stark contrast to the deep isolation of Allison in this episode. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's also kind of interesting, just since we've been we've been reviewing season one, where this level of the liar bond has not yet been solidified. Mm -hmm. It's getting there, 
but in season one they're still questioning each other occasionally they're still keeping secrets from one another here everything's out in the open um it was at this moment that i noticed aria's outfit and it looks it literally looks like she skinned a leopard and climbed into the skin in terms of how how much of just how how covered she is in spots um that's so aria uh, and then we have this moment where this this man is watching them, just another day in Rosewood, and Spencer identifies by his pen that this must be a lawyer who is contacting Hannah on behalf of Mona from beyond the grave. <laughs> I love the idea of Mona doing this. Um, he I do too. Been hired to give a specific envelope to Hannah in the event of Mona's demise. Um, Hannah cannot yep. bear to open it, but Emily has no such scruples. Uh, they find a map of Allison's house and her hiding places. Uh, the letter that Mona has written to Hannah uh, with these maps includes uh, the closing kisses M. Oh, I have the whole letter if we want to hear it. It's not very long. I'll just read it real quick. It says, hey, and it does the classic thing where it starts in Hannah's voice and then it cuts into Mona's voice. It says, hey, Han, if you're reading this, she's still playing the game and I'm talking to you from the grave. And that's what you need to do. Promise me you won't give up, Hannah. You have to keep looking. Kisses M. Oh, uh, now we know that Mona was trying to fake her own death was how her um, how her situation started. Uh, do you think that this might have been yet another mona plan to try and get hannah like hannah would be so sad about mona's demise and then hannah would follow a series of clues to then find mona and she would be so happy at discovering mona that they would um discover the the true extent of hannah's feelings for her dear friend well, you know, I think it's very possible. I remember in this era of the show and, and in the next half season, there really does seem to be this interesting thing happening where it's like Hannah didn't know what she had until it was gone. And it's, it's, there's so much of Hannah, well, so much, there's probably like an episode, but in my mind, it was so much of Hannah reflecting on her relationship with Mona. And it almost felt like she was realizing, I mean, a reading could be that she was realizing how much she loved Mona um, now that Mona was no longer there and that she really was able to recognize with distance what Mona was always trying to tell her. Um, so maybe it was a Mona plan. I honestly, my memories of all of the like a Mona, Charlotte, da 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 stuff are a little bit fuzzy. Um, and I, I forget at what point Mona, at what point it went from a plan to Mona getting double crossed by a. So <laughs> who indeed um but i i just think it's i think it's interesting and also i think mona being uh mona being dead it like clarifies things for hannah when mona is alive and in front of you uh she has so many dimensions and she's a very complicated creature whereas uh when mona is dead she's reduced to really one element which is dead and someone who hannah loves and misses excessively um, so that that's an interesting dynamic going on too. Um, I agree. I, I also think that the liars, I mean, Mona in this, in this situation, she has really taken the space that Allie had mm -hmm. in season one, where she's this sort of mysterious dead girl who the liars are championing for in some way. And it's sort of like, um, 
it, it's almost like Mona and Allie was that their war was always going to end like this. It's like they couldn't both exist in the same place at the same time. Uh, and so it's really interesting that Allison has so swiftly become the villain, the absolute, you know, capital V villain of the liars lives. And Mona has sort of become the martyr uh, when, you know, a few seasons prior it was mm-hmm. the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hannah responds to this letter by telling the other girls, I promised Mona we'd always stay together. <laughs> the liars hope that the diagrams will help them find proof that Allison and not Spencer killed Bethany. Um, as this is all yeah. going on, Arya gives a dollar to a bell ringing Santa as he passes by and the Santa uh, pulls a present out of his uh, bag of tricks gives her a snow globe which the liars realize has their picture inside a is so crafty and it also includes the message that a takes a holiday they should too yes you know rosewood may be like a spooky murder town full of predators but they really do they have christmas <laughs> I mean, we'll see in this episode, like, Christmas is a really big deal. They do. Then, we're still in the opening here, Uh, then at Allison's house, she's asleep on top of her bedspread when she startles awake and hears banging, then thinks that she sees her dead mother, who says she has a lot to show you. Pay attention. Now, okay, is this Mary All right, listen. I'm not willing to accept that this is Mary Drake and actual Mona. I understand, given what we know by the end of season seven, that it certainly could be, and that a persuasive argument might be able to be made for that particular interpretation. But I don't believe that Mary Drake existed at this point in the writers' minds of the show. I think it. I think that this is happening inside Allison's head. I think that this is nation um but it is true it is true that there is a you know a, another element out there uh but I, I i think it's in allison's head what do you think well i think i i really like the actress who plays jessica and mary drake but i think a sort of unfortunate side effect of the whole mary drake thing is that whenever this actress now plays layers to Jessica and plays her as sort of this low creepy character, automatically she seems like Mary Drake because spooky, spooky ghost dream Jessica, whether or not she is, she, she talks and walks and sounds a lot like Mary Drake. She's talking in that sort of low spooky voice. So I, I am, I'm looking at her and I'm seeing Mary Drake, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I think that, I don't know. I mean, this this whole Allison's whole storyline in the past in the last two seasons could have just been about her developing hallucinations because that happens a number of times. I think that I think that within this episode we are supposed to believe that this is Well, I would say that if this is Mary Drake, uh Mary Drake's haunting game really went downhill in between season five <laughs> and season uh six B or seven A or whenever it was that Mary Drake was uh, haunting as Jessica again uh, because I think the hauntings here are very creepy and effective uh, I think the hauntings uh, in the later seasons are cartoonish and inexplicable so <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, 
we, we have a Agreed. great special opening sequence. Uh, ghost Mona in the eye, red and green tinting and nail polish on the body, a sinister ho-ho-ho, and some blowing snow around the opening credits. Uh, so I, I really love yep. that. Uh, then in her living room, where no natural or artificial light exists, Allie plays the <laughs> opening bars of Silent Night on the piano and looks at a picture of Jessica. Uh, she wakes up or wakes up in a dream memory uh, at the sight of uh, her house having natural light and a really pretty tree and a little alley playing the piano. Uh, and you know what else it has? It has Mona Vanderwall playing the ghost of Queermas Past. <laughs> I described her as spooky zombie drag oh. queen Mona. Who was also doing kind of a Tina Turner in Mad Max Beyond. Yes, her hair is gray and white. She's wearing a black beaded uh, bustier and gray lace arm warmers with some black vines and silver baubles around her neck. Uh, I would say that she basically looks like she's about to dance in a queer zombie burlesque show. (laughs) Yes, yes, agreed. (laughs) And she is just, she is just camping it up in this episode. It's so great. It's so great. There's something a little bit um, like Ursula the Sea Witch about her too, I feel. Um, Just, yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, it's just great. Um, We continue. We, we, what is, what is Mona actually Uh, saying? She's here to show Allie a memory. Um, as little Allie okay. hits a soundless key on the piano and opening up to investigate finds two identically wrapped boxes with two identical yellow dresses inside. Yes. Um, Jessica, Jessica rushes in and is very concerned when she sees that Allie has discovered these boxes. Um, she sits down and very, um, creepily really coaxes Allie into saying that she only saw one dress and when little Allie presses her on this Jessica says that daddy will leave them if she doesn't say that there is only one dress now um Allison in in present day thinks that this is uh Bethany Young and we did find out at one point that Jessica was buying dresses for Bethany Young but I think it's safe to say that this yes agree yes right okay yeah there's yeah the whole bethany young thing talk about a storyline that didn't need to happen and made everything more complicated (laughs) yes um but yeah jessica's doing just a master class in gaslighting here um she forces Allie to repeat the lie over and over until uh allison you know is, is willing to just uh convincingly indicate that it's the truth and once allison does that jessica responds good girl uh, at which point Mona says, a monster was born. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and then we go... And then Allison, so Allison's had like three oh. different waking up scenes. Uh, then after <laughs> Ghost Mona, like Allison asks who the other dress was for. And Mona's like, it's not going to be that easy, bitch. And then we hear glass breaking and Allison wakes up, we think, for real, on the couch in her grimly dark living room with no blanket. Right. <laughs> yes, one of many waking up scenes, as you said. Um, we cut over to uh, Toby, who is doing his best Jimmy Stewart impression. He uh, he has his camera. He has his cast on his leg. He on his leg it says, "Here lies the broken bones of Toby Cavanaugh." I feel like Spencer wrote that. <laughs> I feel like um, Spencer wrote that. So, okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like that. So I just had to say, so Spencer talking about possibly going to jail for murder while putting on a sexy Christmas costume complete with Santa hat basically sums up the bizarre <laughs> tone of this episode. Like, it's just so weird. She's like, we keep cutting to Spencer and we're doing that thing where we're not, we're sort of just showing specific body parts, like a shoe, uh, like a shoulder. And she's putting on this, like, it's like a, like a, like a sexy Christmas Halloween costume. Uh, but the whole time she's talking about how she's like going to jail for killing somebody. It's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's a major whiplash. And then she comes out and says, Mary. Yes. Uh, also, well, I, the thing that I really have to say about her outfit here, uh, which is basically like the chunky heels, the sheer black stockings with garters, uh, a sexy Mrs. Claus bustier and a Santa hat. She also looks like she might be about to dance in a queer holiday burlesque. All I want for Christmas is a queer holiday burlesque in this episode. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, she's really wearing the outfit yeah, for Mean Girls, yeah. like, when they yeah, do the... Yeah, I would also off. point out that Spencer's yeah. costume has, like, six parts to it, and all Toby does later is wear boxers. <laughs> Spencer says, ho, ho, ho. Well, I say, thanks, patriarchy. Well, to be fair, Toby does have, like, a cast yeah, to contend with. Yeah, you know, Toby with, does have a cast to contend with. But so uh, four people are wearing a pair of boxers. Paige is wearing an undershirt and a Santa hat. <laughs> so there are six pieces total in the group costume, whereas there are, like, six pieces just in what Spencer is, like, laboriously putting on. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so, so then we we cut over to the church i don't know since when the liars are like such do-gooders in the town they're just like full of christmas charity they are and i mean is it a, but, like is it a pr moves so that everyone knows they're not <laughs> the town hates them and they hate the town most of the time so i i also don't know where all of this like altruism and spirit of volunteerism comes in i agree uh, this is the first time we get to talk about Caleb on the podcast. Weirdly, this is our first Caleb True. episode. Um, Caleb and Hannah are handing out presents at the church. Um, they're both, Hannah looks really cute in like this little elf costume. Caleb looks like a K-pop <laughs> elf when he comes out. Um, there is this mean little girl who is described as Allie's mini-me uh, making fun of Claire, who is a girl who's hard of hearing and we learned that Hannah knows some sign language from Fat Camp. Another mention of Fat uh, Camp. I mean, Fat Camp um, really gave Hannah a lot of life skills. <laughs> she learned sign language. She can survive in the woods. She's like, I mean, I feel like Hannah doesn't feel like it made her lose weight. But wow, it really, it built her character in a lot of other ways. It really did. It really did. Um, Hannah calls out the Mean Girl Squad and says to this little child, you better start looking over your shoulder because you're making a lot of enemies and in Rosewood, bitches get buried. Now, how do you feel that Hannah could have handled this differently so she didn't actually wind up <laughs> issuing a death threat to an eight-year-old? <laughs> well, <laughs> funny you should ask. Um, this is not helping what Hannah's doing here. Um, I think that using the tool of empathy would probably be helpful perhaps relating to this young girl um perhaps uh perhaps even bringing up <laughs> jenna and talking about her own personal experience with um with it with a handicapped individual 
uh, I, I do not think that, that threatening a child is really the way to go. <laughs> what about uh, you? Yeah, I, I agree. Hannah does not handle this super well. Um, I, I mean, I get that they're really trying to show that Hannah wishes that she could go back in time and undo the past. Like, she's trying to save these new little girls yes. from becoming minions of a, a person with bad motivations. Um, but I think that I think that she doesn't go about it in a great way. Uh, I think that it's kind of inappropriate to, you know, threaten to bury a child. Um, also weird that Hannah recognizes it's no good to make fun of deaf people, but otherwise spends a whole lot of her own timing, her own time making cracks about Jenna not being able to see. Um, and there's a deaf there's a deaf person joke literally in the next. So scene. yeah, uh, I feel like it's questionable. Uh, I will say that Hannah's outfit here. Uh, she is wearing uh, she's wearing an elf costume with a lot of red and green velvet and striped tights and a fur-lined skirt, a green bow tie attached to a cleavage-bearing red and white pipe neckline. She's in the burlesque, too, for anyone keeping track of her. <laughs> uh, Caleb is more of like a pouty elf, uh, and he, you know, he doesn't like the mean girl, and he got peed on by some kids, so he, uh, he is out of the cast, but Hannah is definitely in. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think he's still in Ezra's class. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Hannah here, she's really, she's so wrapped up in her feelings around Allison, like you said, that I think, I think something like she's acting as if this eight-year-old is just like a for her, her meanness is just a foregone conclusion. There's no changing. Once you hit eight, like if you're a mean girl, you're just mean forever. And, um, maybe she's feeling that way about Allison, but this is like, this is a kid who still has time to grow, who has not like gone through puberty or high school yet or anything. Uh, and it, it's interesting that Hannah, it's like Hannah kind of has these blinders up when it comes to mean girls. It's one, you know, she even says once a mean girl. Well, yeah, a mean girl. And I think that it also says like Allison is a character who, uh, her friends or her ex-friends as they are in this particular episode uh, they are blind to the fact that she is really uh, in need of help and I think that there's also an argument to be made as is this little girl uh, who Hannah is helping by kicking out of the event uh, and humiliating in front of her friends so yes who ver who like we're in the end of like an episode of I don't know full house or something like they all come over and like sit around the the heart of hearing girl and it's like you're our new yeah, key, yeah and we'll rule with kindness. friends thanks hannah <laughs> right right exactly uh, meanwhile over at shady days nursing home the best <laughs> named nursing home uh in rosewood i feel like everything in rosewood should be called shady days because they all are um yep but a yep. bunch of students, including Sydney, Jenna, Lucas, and a hand-holding Paige-Emily duo are singing songs to the elderly. Aria passes out cookies instead of singing. Maybe she only does solos, but I'll say it's because Noel isn't here to accompany. Meanwhile, a smarmy predator at a Santa hat <laughs> from the back of the room and grooms her with jewelry and a fancy dress for the ice ball, overriding her stated boundary of keeping Christmas low-key. Yes! He laughs about his poor little rich boy upbringing in which he was given two ponies, but no ethics or morals. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and you know what, Ezra? 
Like, I have a real problem with Ezra picking out Arya's outfit for her. Because if you know anything about Arya Montgomery, it's that, you know, Arya, like, Arya's character might not always be the most clearly defined of all the liars. But one thing we can all agree about Arya is that she has a very distinct eccentric specific sense of style and that she takes a lot of joy really and 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 uh harnesses a lot of creativity in putting together her own outfits in um revealing parts of her personality or using her outfits as armor or all sorts of things like that and what does this insipid creep do (laughs) he goes to the store and he picks out an outfit for her and earrings for her uh and an outfit and earrings i will add that outfit is a it's somewhat little girlish in a way that I do not And he name drops the name of the clerk at the store uh who who helped right. him who you just know that that girl is also 15 and he made her try on this dress yep. uh, in oh. in my headcanon about this whole uh this whole messy incident and also the ice ball is like the the night I believe of uh of him giving her this dress if it's not that night it's the next yes. night time is like inconsequential sometime in liar world but you know right. like aria had an outfit already picked out like that is the kind of woman yep. she is all of the liars had an outfit picked out already i'm sure so yeah just uh horning your own gown and jewelry choice in there after she told you she wanted to keep christmas low-key because presumably her best friend is out on bail and wanted for murder and his unwillingness to respect that is just typical typical presra fits absolutely and you know i'm sure that aria's original outfit was some like really cool like i don't know i don't know like krampus inspired like really kind of creepy gothic-y kind of christmasy look and instead she ended up with that cupcake that cupcake skirt and (laughs) Aria. Aria. Meanwhile, Sydney is trying to wish Emily, um, a very icy Emily, Merry Christmas. Uh, and Emily makes a Emily makes a deaf joke about Jenna here. Like after our after our whole PSA about being nice to deaf people, you know, Emily makes a joke about deaf people. Uh, and then um Jenna or so Jenna is there but is not talking to Emily. Sydney is kind of trying to defend Jenna. Um, and then uh, Emily overhears Paige arguing on the phone with her parents, but before they can a- have an actual conversation where they could communicate about what's going on, um, Aria points out that there's mistletoe up above them, and they share a very bland, closed mouth kiss. <laughs> um, we do learn, though, that Paige was talking to her parents about the fact that they wanted to come to California, but Emily assumes that's for a big Yeah, I, I want to say Paige and Emily are so damn happy in every scene they have together in this episode. Um, they've spent really all of season five up to this point kind of dancing around each other after breaking up at the end of season four due to Paige tipping the police about Allie being alive. And then it's just been all cross signals and mixed messages and uh, Emily's half-heartedness and inability to commit to square dancing uh, that she's had going on. Uh, But now they're back and they're in a honeymoon period. And also Paige Mm -hmm. has information that Emily doesn't. Paige knows she's going to leave. So it's like they're in this they're in this period where they're free from the weight of Paige's expectations and they're existing only in the present moment which is probably, uh, I think, the best way to be in a relationship with Emily Fields, if we're being honest. 
<laughs> right. Don't look too far <laughs> ahead. Um, yeah, this is probably one of the happiest Paley episodes uh, ever. I, I always feel like when Paley is happy, I don't totally buy it because it, it like every, they all, Emily runs so hot and cold on the relationship. Uh, but it is really nice to see them in this episode so sweet. And I think that Arya might be a little bit of a Paley yeah. shipper with the way that she points out. Yeah, the it's true. Uh, back at the De Laurentiis yeah. house, uh, a much more put together looking Allison examines the makeup and wardrobe of Cindy and Mindy. Uh, she does that kind of bullying kindness routine and they simper. Yeah. And it looks like they're wearing yes. wigs. Yes. Uh, then yeah. we get to the ice ball. What? What is this venue? It is a giant indoor space made to appear as if it's outdoors. It contains the standard fake hedge labyrinths required by Rosewood Party zoning laws, plus a dance floor gazebo situation and a grand staircase from and to nowhere for Allie to descend. There's also... There's also a footbridge to and from nowhere that the partners congregate on. Uh, Everything is silver and white and blue. And naturally, it is also a masquerade. Uh, Could you just take the thousands of dollars spent on creating this elaborate party and donate that money to the homeless? Charity (laughs) under late stage capitalism is weird. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, yeah, there's and there's just like inexplicably people in this really creepy white face makeup, like in the background <laughs> of masquerade in winter at this time. Yeah, apparently so. Yes, lots of masks. Um, the liars are all standing around, uh, being super, super obvious with their like, you know, suspicions and confusion. Uh, I won't go through all of their outfits because it's basically can just be summed up as like silver and sparkly. But I think that Spencer wins mm-hmm. best dressed. Um, she has probably the most understated look in a, with a not at all weird amount of gravitas. Spencer says, I'm going to go have my picture taken with Santa Claus. (laughs) And who is Santa Claus? It is Lucas who is having way too much fun being Santa Claus. I don't enjoy the way that Lucas has been like brought into this plan with the liars. I'm not really sure what his, what his job is. Spencer is filling him in on the fact that they're going to try to, you know, case Allison's house. And I just have to say that if this was Hannah sitting on Lucas's lap, he would have a hard time standing up for a while. He still, I mean, he pervs on Spencer and she doesn't deck him. I thought was, was really too bad. Um, Yeah. Lucas being Santa makes Santa even creepier in my opinion. Yes. Well, Santa, like everything, well, not everything associated with Santa, but like most things associated with Santa in this episode are. Yes, yes. Spencer is the only exception. <laughs> uh. Uh, the liars are all dancing with their partners uh, because they have to be at the party until Allie shows up, at which point Spencer and Hannah are going to leave to search her house. Uh, Emily and Paige, who is dressed in a lovely white suit with a black stripe down the pants, swoon. Uh, Paige's soft butch fashion is always a win. Uh, Allison appears at the top of the stairs during fight song. Uh, With only one match, she can start an explosion. She descends the stairs with four gorgeously dressed masked minions trailing behind her. And uh, in this moment, I feel like Allison is trying to show her resilience that she'll bounce back and replace the liars. 
uh, to make herself the girl standing at the center of a group of loyal satellites who can bask in her reflected light again. Uh, and it kind of works because the whole party, including the liar, stops to stare. But it's also a hollow victory as these girls are all drips. Yeah, <laughs> agreed, agreed. And we can kind of spy in this scene um, a, somebody in a white cloak who is hanging around Allison uh, and the liars, but whose face we do not see at this yes. point. Yes. Um, we get a little Caleb kiss as uh, as Hannah goes off. This episode really has this that air of like somebody's not going to make it out alive. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like, you know, a lot of like, hey, be yeah. careful. Like a lot of those kind of. Yeah, moments. there there really um, is. Uh, I, I feel like the whole episode it does an interesting job of exploring the idea of who Allison is without the liars and how the liars' need for her has really diminished while her need of a stable family unit, which the liars provide, has really expanded. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's interesting. At the end of this episode, Emily refers to the liars and their significant others as a family in a way that I didn't, that didn't really ring very true for me. But I do feel like the true family is the liars mm -hmm. with each other. And uh, yeah, Allison and Spencer too. I mean, they're they have such unstable family structures, and so having that um, that security of the liar family bond is really needed. And yeah, I mean, Allison's family couldn't be further from her in this episode. Yeah, uh, the the flyer that we saw for the ice ball previously said that it was a charity ball thrown by the De Laurentiis family, and there is not another De Laurentiis in sight. Uh, well. No. <laughs> not another stated dealer oh. in sight um the the character in the fur hood uh does watch as spencer and hannah take off to go search casa de Laurentiis, uh and uh we do see the the fur white hood uh watching them depart um right and and oh, go oh i was just gonna say aria successfully tails Allie for about 30 seconds yep <laughs> and yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand. I understand why Hannah and Spencer had to go search the house. They are going to be the best liars at searching. And I, you know, Hannah has all these feelings about Mona. Spencer is like on trial for murder or whatever. I understand that. But I really feel like they could have done a different division of resources here <laughs> because yes. Emily and Aria as the point people on following Allie or keeping an eye on Allie you just know they're gonna be I, I feel like I feel like Caleb and Paige should have been deputized to be on yes. the trail Allie mission I feel like they would yeah. have just done a little bit of a better job um but yeah <laughs> Arya and Emily are so terrible at espionage one of my favorite moments of this episode comes in a few minutes when Paige Paige really exasperated but unsurprised is like <laughs> Emily and Aria lost Allie. <laughs> oh. like, like, well, like she, like she's like, well, Caleb, you won the coin toss. We lasted ten minutes. I had it on. I had it on twelve. I'll pay you. I later. mean, I think you're being extremely generous in thinking that it is like a matter of minutes before they have to That's call her that they lost her. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, so. Um, she tails Allie for 30 seconds and sees her going into this kind of uh, silk-curtained tent room, I guess? Uh, and she kisses yeah. someone dressed as Santa Claus, specifically so that Arya can have the line that she saw Allie kissing Santa Claus. Uh, 
Arya sees them by spying on them in a super obvious way. Like she's like parting the tent yeah. curtains and just staring in like a yeah. like a creeper who is super bad um, at at observing people unobserved. Uh, but she sees uh, Allie kissing Santa Claus and she just runs off to get Emily uh, instead of like. I'm just going to spitball here, texting Emily to come to Arya's location right. where they could both keep an eye on Allie. Um, but we, yep. we flip back to the De Laurentiis house. Uh, Hannah and Spencer are spooking each other and being creeped out. Uh, they split up, Hannah going upstairs and Spencer taking the ground floor. Um, we flop back over to the ice ball where Emily and Arya have lost sight of Allison. That was fast. <laughs> yep. And and Emily helps when when Aria mentions about the kiss. Emily helpfully reminds the audience that Allison is in fact bisexual when she asks if um, if it was a guy or a girl. Yeah, and that, that, that's um, like our first official indication. I think that the other liars understand Allison as a character who might be kissing men or women. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, we're not going to we're not going to use any fancy B words, but, you know, we're going to kind of like offer some hints. Arya definitely got a sense of male butt, however. Uh, now, who does Emily suspect Allison of kissing if she was kissing a girl? Uh, Jenna? I Cece? Think, I think Emily's just hoping. <laughs> I think she's just she's just like, are you sure it wasn't a girl? Um <laughs> <laughs> well, because you know, Allie walked down the stairs with all those girls who were the replacement liars. Do you think Emily is like yep. real curious about which one is the new Emily? Like, she's like, which one do I have to fight? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which one are you reading? Great explanations. Um, I think. Who do I think that she thinks it was? Maybe, maybe Cece, mm-hmm. because she knows she'll in later in this episode she will very this script is really not that great she'll have a she'll have a moment of being like oh my god you guys i just remembered that i forgot to tell you that cc met up with ali in new york um um, so maybe maybe cc maybe maybe sydney i mean i think that that emily emily's relationship with sydney is basically like are you sure you're not gay sydney I think you're probably gay, Sydney. You're at least gay for me in the silver jacket, right? Um, I'm jumping all over the place. Um, so, so yes, and they're continuing to interact with Lucas. I don't know why this is helpful to the planet. Oh all. yeah, after they lose Ellie, Emily and Arya then split up from each other. Uh, Emily goes to talk to Santa Lucas. Uh, Arya is searching for Ellie when she is stopped by shirtless Santa Holbrook who takes advantage of the opportunity to question her about why she's at the ball uh, to indicate that she's on his naughty list and to offer a parting commentary on her dress that lets her know he's on to her relationship with Ezra. Ugh. Which, okay. So first of all, like, obviously, I mean, she's dancing with Ezra at the party. Ezra's hanging out with all of these teenagers. Like this whole, like, what is the, what is the, what is the status of the whole Presra secret at this point? Everybody knows. Like, everybody knows. He talked to who's he, what's he at the shop about the dress he was buying for her. Like, everybody knows. Also, he has the line, um, <laughs> he has the line, this town has a lot to offer. Like the lack of any consequence for older men in position of authority preying on young girls. <laughs> He's really enjoying his time in oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Caleb and Paige stand on the footbridge with their former, current, 
English teacher and scan the crowd for Allie. Uh, stalker ass Ezra spots her immediately, but they make no move to follow her into the winter wonderland maze. <laughs> yeah, he says in this very self-satisfied voice, he's like, I think I just found her. <laughs> and she's literally walking right in front of them. Like, Good job. Good job. You, you opened your eyes. Oh, yes, you get a cookie. Um, yep. <laughs> Allie wanders the maze where the fake hedges are adorned with empty picture frames and mirrors and decorative urns pop up like weeds. Uh, she is followed by the figure in the furry white hood. The figure approaches and pulls the hood back to reveal Cece Drake. Merry Christmas, wow. Allie. Allie smiles, the only smile that reaches her heart all episode. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This setup is felt super super similar to the charlotte reveal in season yes. six of her walking to the maze looking in the mirror this was the only moment where i was like oh wow that was like kind of like there was like some at least something kind of visually interesting like there was like a visual callback um but uh yeah another way to look at that is that they just literally were copying themselves oh, from one season i mean that's that's what i think like when we talk about like is mona haunting allison or is, is mary drake haunting allison what's going on I don't think that that's like an homage. I think that's they're just running out of ideas and looking at old scripts to yeah. kind of get inspiration. Because we had in the later seasons, Emily uh, takes a test and gets a grade that she didn't earn on it. She misses the test. She gets a grade she didn't earn, which is like an exact repeat of Emily's plot line with Ella Montgomery. Uh, we had right. we had that Allie being haunted by a Jessica lookalike, uh, which was a direct callback. Uh, and there's at least, God, there's at least one other thing that it's like directly lifted from what had happened previously. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like an homage. I think it's, uh, they were just out of ideas and, uh, Lack of yeah, going, going through the archives. Uh, but yeah. Oh, oh, I was just gonna say, so meanwhile, Emily has her eye on two masked figures. Um, I that Emily like one of the figures kind of gives Emily a look and sort of a some there's some prolonged eye contact it's a follow me gaze it's a follow me gaze I think there's a part of Emily that's like is an eyes wide shut situation about to happen <laughs> like what's what's happening here um so she does follow and uh it's in fact Jenna and Sydney and Emily like actually has the nerve to gasp to gasp twice <laughs> it's like Emily, you were so bad at this. Obviously, it's Jenna and Sydney. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, I think she was stunned because the look that Sydney gave her was like, that was completely like, not just a follow me, but it was like a follow me to the dingy bathroom to make out look like that. It, that yeah. was the caliber of look that she was given. And she did follow. She did follow. She was like, I'm just going to see it goes. <laughs> um, like, oh, it goes to a know? secluded alcove with Sydney and Jenna. Hmm. Paige is leaving town. <laughs> Allison's making out with people with male butts. Maybe we'll just, you know, we'll just, we'll just throw the dice and see what happens. Um, uh, Jenna reveals that Allie made her an offer of friendship when she first arrived in Rosewood, and she made the mistake of saying no. Um, there's lots of talk of Allie as the enemy, and sleep, and Emily accuses them of sleeping with the enemy. Sydney makes sure to clarify that she isn't gay. Oh, the, I, um, I invoke the Vanderwall rule of no homo here. If you have to, yeah, oh, like, totally. if you say it in that way, it actually means that today is opposite day. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, Emily, you know, Emily puts her cards on the table. The liars think Allie murdered Mona. Sydney and Jenna think so too. This is the first time that I wrote in my notes that this is not a very good script. Like just all, it's so, um, there's, it, it's so black and white. It's so on the nose in terms of like, uh, all, I mean, first of all, the sleeping with the enemy talk, but like all of this, like Ali is absolutely evil and da 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 da. Like, it's just not, there's no nuance. Here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nuance in some parts of this episode, but there is, um, there's no like nuance in this moment. So everyone thinks that Ali killed Mona. Little do they know that Mona's actual kidnapper is currently sitting with Allison, giving her a probably terrible smelling perfume. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could be up to absolutely anything in the maze because none of the Emily, Aria, Paige, Prezra, Caleb, Lucas, six people who are supposed <laughs> to be watching them are up to the task. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Mm. Um, and Charlotte notes, or Charlotte, Cece, I'm just going to call Charlotte. Um, when you lose someone, the first Christmas is always the hardest, which made me really sad thinking about Charlotte as a character and, how, you know, the Christmases that she lost and the, the people that, that she, the fact that she, from, for a long time, thought that Allison was gone, mm-hmm. you know? Um and, and she notes, Mona can't hurt you anymore. You know that. She refers to the liars as Allie's ex-friends. Um, it, it's a lovely like conversation that-, that they have, I feel like, about Jessica. It is. And it is. When, when Charlotte says Mona can't hurt you anymore, that also has like a more interesting ring to it in retrospect. She knows that Mona can't hurt her because Charlotte has her in the dollhouse at this very exactly. moment. Well, and it made me wonder if if Mary Drake is in this episode, um, I'm, I'm thinking that Charlotte was probably the one who sent her mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it is it is a lovely conversation. Everything with Charlotte is so awful later <laughs> that it's like hard to get too excited about it. Yeah, but, but uh, I, I mean, I do feel like, uh, I, you know, this conversation combined with the two yellow dresses being in this episode uh, was definitely enough to convince me at the time that Cece was a Drake Laurentis, uh, but I thought that she was going to be Kenneth's illegitimate kid with some unknown lady to remove the ick Jason though factor. Um, but like the sister energy between them and the genuine affection and goodwill that they have for each other, I feel like it's very potent here. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah, it was, I was actually um, thinking a lot about your fic about them, um, Little Sister, The Sky is Falling, when I, when I watched this scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, those two. Um, back at Allie's house, Hannah and Spencer are just taking their sweet time going, exploring this, this place. Um, t- like, this is, this is the, the danger of when you separate your characters, but information has to come across to the audience you end up with a lot of people talking to themselves which never really plays very well so we have toby alone in his room watching the liars and talking to himself or his leg um, the broken bones of toby kavanaugh (laughs) yes he's having a conversation with his leg um we hear that there's a warning about blizzard conditions uh spencer has found some personal ads hannah has discovered a holly varjack passport when Spencer explains the whole Holly Varjak thing, she actually name checks the Ali Ezra relationship 
how are we okay with this? And how has this gotten turned into an Ezra taught Ali how to love scenario? Barf! Oh my god. <laughs> I was shocked that they brought that up, honestly. Um, I thought that they were just as content to, to sort of, um, you know, leave that, leave that storyline. Oh yeah, I mean, he taught her how to love in their purely platonic he would never do anything with an underage girl right. what are you thinking except his current underage girlfriend uh relationship yeah yep. it, it is i like hannah says how can you fit all that information into your one head it is difficult yes and i have to say that all of the spana stuff in this episode makes my heart very happy <sighs> they're they're very cute in this they episode. are adorable in this episode uh, yeah. The less stellar detective agency is still at the ice ball <laughs> speculating about Allie kissing Holbrook. Uh, it explains, per Caleb, why Spencer is about to be on trial for murder and Allie is wandering through the winter wonderland. Prezra wonders when it started, like, how old was she? But <laughs> Emily cuts in with the breaking news that Cece was in New York and that someone in the police helped her to escape, which she now suspects was probably Holbrook. Yeah, that, yeah. Emily's like, oh my god, I just remembered, guys. Like, it's it's like the it's like it's really bad. It's just not. It's just not good. Uh, this episode, good. like this whole episode, is basically like uh, a show version of all those Marlene interviews, where she just like yep. takes a moment to explain a convoluted plot line that was never resolved on the show. That's that's kind yep. of what. Uh, this episode is periodically doing. I'm surprised they don't name check interpretive memory. You know? <laughs> um, Allison and White Hood emerge from the maze and head for the exits. Uh, Caleb and Prezra intercept Holbrook to prevent him from following, while Emily and Aria follow Allie and White Hood through a sketchy-ass backstage-looking area uh, where yep. they are cut off by Lucas and Paige, uh, what was their plan for if this was Allie? Were they going to bundle her in a blanket and refuse to let her leave her own party? <laughs> but Right. Well, also, like, the people who are walking in front of them are so clearly not Allison. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they're like the wrong build. They're like, they yeah. walk incorrectly. <laughs> yeah. They're, and, they're and wearing super great masks. <laughs> The best mask. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's two handmaidens wearing alley masks and Cindy Mindy faces underneath those. So much for a plan coming together. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, back at Casa de Dilarentes, Hannah and Spencer are in different parts of the house. Bad move. Um, and continuing to sneak around, uh, Hannah finds an archery medal. And a recording of Allison telling someone to get out of her stuff, or or they're dead, which is is like effectively kind of like creepy and funny. Um, but Toby weirdly, I, so this is something I couldn't figure out in this episode. Toby is so much more worried about Hannah than Spencer, who is literally in the room with A at this point. Is it just because Hannah doesn't have her phone? Because he keeps being like, "Come on, Hannah, where are you? Damn it, Hannah, where are you?" I don't know why he is being like that. Um... I mean, maybe it's just a sense that, like, Spencer can take care of herself. Uh, but I, Or maybe Spencer is just more in his sight line uh, than Hannah is. But, yeah, I agree that he is weirdly worried about Hannah. Um, 
I'm not a fan of like the Toby male gaze in this episode, mm. where basically like he's sort of consistently commenting on like like dumb, stupid Hannah who can't like defend herself in the big scary house. Well, also it seems like uh, there are a lot of ways in which I feel like this is uh, even for liar plans. This is a pretty bad one that they have put together uh, for this particular caper. Toby is their designated lookout but it doesn't seem like they have a signal that they know to watch out for like because toby is about right. to get the information uh that that uh Allie, uh they've lost sight of ally at the party they think she might be headed back to the house and toby like does not have a solid plan like uh also nope. i don't know why in the way that messages work, I don't know why they're giving that info to Toby instead of texting Spencer, who is in the house with Hannah. That seems like it would be a good thing to do. I also feel like having a lookout who's pretty much immobile is probably not the greatest. Yeah, yeah. I, I just feel like there are a lot of things going on. Also, I feel like it is weird that he I, I mean, I know they're doing it exclusively because of the rear window cosplay but I think that a telephoto camera lens is a not the best item to use for the spy mission. We know Hannah has yep. binoculars. She was using them to spy on Camp Mona. Uh, telescopes exist. I just, I, I feel like the camera gives it a real weird, real voyeuristic <laughs> angle. Yeah, and him, and, and like them being in these like fancy tight dresses, like mm -hmm. kind of makes it all a little bit weirder too. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. I'm, this is a, I gotta say, this is, this is a very sexual episode of Pretty Little Liars. Like, for Pretty Little Liars. I mean, there's 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 a lot more, like, like suggestion of sex in this episode than I feel like most episodes of the show have. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. But so while Toby is uh, scanning the windows for Hannah, he catches sight of A at a lower window with a knife. Uh, Spencer is hiding behind the couch sort of under a table while Hannah is still in the attic being scared by a jack-in-the-box despite the fact that she was turning the crank of the jack-in-the-box thus it popping out is a predictable consequence um, right but then thanks to Mona's fabulous notes uh, she opts to investigate some hat boxes uh, a moves to another room and Spencer tries to text Hannah to warn her but alas Hannah's phone is in the room with spencer this is another example uh similar to when emily leaves her phone upstairs in the school yep. uh, in the school for the blind in the the final seasons uh which then yep. leads to them going back upstairs to get the phone and to all the cast that ensues after yes ex absolutely and what does spencer do spencer makes a shiv yeah. because <laughs> what do you do when the chips are down what do you do when you're in this big house that surely has lots of things you could use for weapons close by you make a shiv because sometimes that's what a girl's got to do. well spencer is preparing to spend the rest of her life potentially behind bars so she's you know she's looking ahead yep she is she is she's looking ahead um of course nobody calls the police uh <laughs> Toby is able to walk by episode's end, but sits in his chair helplessly here. <laughs> um, and and uh, yeah, this 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 whole sequence is suspenseful, but also feels really long. Um, Spencer hears a shriek, and when she runs, um, she finds Hannah passed out and a window open. There is a lot of face cradling. 
Um, and uh, as Hannah comes to, and all I have to say is kiss her, Spencer. Oh, that'll help. Oh, yeah. I mean, Spencer, she races to the attic. Hannah is prone on the floor. She rushes over and she's like pleading with Hannah to not be dead. Uh, but because Hannah has only been knocked out, she and Spencer kiss passionately. Uh, oh, wait. I, I wandered into fanfic for a section, but but I'm, I'm back now. Uh, there is a lot of, as you said, hair stroking and bare shoulder touching. Uh, and a lot of like, oh my god, oh my god, thank god you're okay. Yeah. Like, it's very, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Spencer is sure that A has gone out the window, and then we see a burlap baby face mask moving in the mask cupboard, indicating that A still in the house. Yep. Bum, bum, bum. That creepy baby mask, which I now associate with Noel. Um, so- oh, but it was Lucas wearing it in that in that first secret episode. Was it Lucas wearing it? For some reason, I associated it with. It Noel. was supposed to be actually- Noel, and then it was That's it was Lucas. Right. But this might actually be Noel because we do know that Noel was helping Charlotte. True, it could be Noel. Could be Noel, or it could be Charlotte, or it could be someone else entirely. Because you know um so so then um we yes a was still in the room um the liars are around the fireplace the blizzard is continuing they might um they might not see their families but spencer is feeling cautiously optimistic oh because hannah found a letter we skipped over the letter that hannah found found. uh totally skipped over the letter yeah, yeah, that's that's how inconsequential this letter ultimately is. <laughs> um, and also, like, why do the liars like think that evidence is actually going to clear them at this point? Like, they know that everybody is so corrupt, <laughs> they can't trust anything, and they're so convinced that like this letter is going to fix. Also, everything. there's no chain of custody on this letter. They stole the letter from Allison's attic, right. so like, there's no way of saying that the letter is genuine and that they didn't just like make it up. Uh, yeah, but they're sure that this letter is going to be the key to like reasonable doubt, which is only a thing in a trial, not actually in charges being brought against you. But whatever, they're happy. Hannah found this letter that was from Bethany to Allison, uh, indicating that Allison had invited her to visit for Labor Day and the two knew each other and that Allison had, I guess, given Bethany uh, the fateful yellow tank top. Yes, and that this must all be proof that uh, Allison brutally murdered bethany and mona yes yes indeed uh as if there were a ps that we didn't get to see that said can't wait to be murdered by you xxo bethany (laughs) right exactly and and also the letter Uh, it turns out to be fake like in in the ultimate uh like end game of pll this letter is a fake so so right so who faked this letter i mean i think charlotte okay sure I guess. I mean, I yeah. don't really know, but I yeah. think. <laughs> nothing Nothing around Bethany Young matters, including who killed her. It was Mona, but, like, it doesn't mean anything. Oh, it, it was um, Melissa. Well, right. It was Mona and Melissa. They tagged right. her. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Everyone killed her. No one looked at her. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Just don't worry about it. Um, but the back of the De Laurentiis house, Allison and Mona are watching Christmas Carol together. Um, I would love to watch a movie with Mona's commentary. That would be so much fun. Yes, yes. Um, Hannah or Mona comments that ignoring me won't make me go away, which is a nice callback to um, Al- Allison many, many moons ago saying that um, ignore it and it'll go away, referring to Mona. 
Um, Mona pretty hilariously like disappears and then like sneaks up on Allie and is like ha 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 and laughs in her face. It's pretty great. Um, and then uh, there's an interesting line that Mona has here when Allison admits that she's scared and says, is that what you wanted to hear? And Mona says, it wasn't as gratifying as I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. which in a weird way, actual Mona is experiencing that at this point because she's getting to be Allison, but in this way that's like totally crazy and weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, if we believe that the haunting is happening in Allison's head rather than Mona and Mary Drake uh, enacting a plan with Charlotte, uh, either way, the reason it's working as well as it is uh, has to do with Allie being so completely alone. Uh, this is her first Christmas after being back from, as far as anyone knows, being kidnapped and presumed dead. And she just lost her mother and no one wants to spend time with her. None of her family members even came to the ice ball and there is no one else in the house this whole weekend uh, for Allison to look to as a reflection of a stable reality. Right. Well, you know, another thing that was, I agree with all that. And another thing that was interesting to me about this scene is that later in the series, when Allison is haunted by Wilden, who is actually Rollins in a fancy coconut oil latex mask, um, she will feel a lot of guilt for her supposed part in Wilden's death, even though as far as we know, um, Allison really didn't have anything to do with Wilden's death other than perhaps somebody killing him on her behalf. Uh, and yet, and, and here, she seems to be feeling a certain amount of guilt about Mona, but we know that she didn't kill Mona either. So that's kind of a curious running theme. It is. I mean, I think that by the time we get to the, the Rollins-Wilden haunting, I think that Allison is more than anything being haunted by lazy-ass writing. Um, uh, true. But true. I think that Mona, I, we know that she didn't kill Mona. I think that the reason that Mona is the the haunter here is just that it's this specter of Mona that is the thing that is estranging Allison from the other liars. Uh, I think that Mona represents a lot of things. She represents the reason that Allie can't be with them right now. And she also represents the way in which the group dynamics have changed in a way that doesn't allow Allison to be involved with them, Uh, particularly because right now, as you said, the liar bond is such that you can't have any secrets and Allison still has so many secrets, um, right. especially as, as pertain to Mona and as pertain to their past together uh, that it's, it, it's what's stopping her. Do you think that in any way that Allie is aware of Mona represents her feelings for Emily because of the parallels between Vandermeeren and Emerson? I don't know if Allison's aware of it, but I think that's something that's happening. Yes, I do. <laughs> that she's sort of being haunted by that in a way as well yeah because they slept together in miss me uh in miss me times right. 100 so it was that's like just a few episodes back yeah, yeah yeah and now emily is is back with Paige. um yeah so mona uh takes allison to the church where allison sees her own body in a casket uh when ali asks when mona says does it matter and allison says it does to me mona says and only you taking like game yeah set and match right there um i love that exchange though i love the way the the, the line reading on it does to me yeah just, there's something so broken about it and then jessica appears dressed in a black veil uh she tells Allie she's sorry they'll be coming for her soon 
Uh, there are creepy noises outside, and Allison gets really scared. And kind of to the point that you made about Allison feeling guilty, Allison asks her mother if she's going to hell, which I feel yeah. like is a very interesting character note. Um, mm-hmm. She tries to flee, but the doors of the church are locked. Uh, she screams, no, Mona. And then she wakes up in her bed still calling for Mona. Ah, <laughs> ah. Yep. One interesting note there, too, is, is Mona says they never found your legs, which <laughs> yeah. is bizarre and weird. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like with, with you know, Jessica Galerentis, who's pros- possibly married Drake, and she's dressed as the Black Widow, somewhere Shower Harvey is sneaking around a corner hissing. <laughs> um, and I just love, and I'm sure that this must have been in the trailer for this episode, Mona in the morning goes, wake up, bitch, it's Christmas, and I promise you don't want to miss it. <laughs> Yeah, I really feel like pause for a moment here to just appreciate Mona's haunting work because it is first rate. She's dedicated. She's enthusiastic. She has a great look, campy yet chilling dialogue. And also the physicality of her ghost movements are outstanding. She like moves like an insane ballerina every time. And 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 everyone soak up this last great little moment here with Mona because we're about to enter enter a place that that is that is really bonkers and bizarre, and that is Christmas morning uh, at the the uh, the Hastings house. It's been confirmed the liars are going to be away from their parents on Christmas. They're not going to see their parents. Everybody's feeling really sad about this. Hannah notes that her mom always says that uh, Christmas is wherever they're together. And then suddenly, we <laughs> well, look to the stairs. But before we get to the stairs, I just want to say that Spencer okay. and Hannah are sitting on the couch looking for all the world like they're auditioning for a lesbian Folgers commercial. And I'm going to give Hannah a queer look alert for her red flannel PJs, which, as no one planned to stay over and get stuck at Spencer's, must be borrowed from Spencer herself. Oh my god, I didn't even consider that. And I also want to point out, thank you for coming to my Spana TED Talk. Hannah <laughs> is in this scene sitting on the back of the couch with her feet on the part that you would normally, which Spencer and Emily are currently sitting on. So I would say CF, Autostraddle's recent link roundup entitled, Where We're Going, We Don't Need Chairs, Bisexuals, regarding... <laughs> bisexual people and whether or not they are capable on sitting on chairs normally uh, as relates to <laughs> Hannah's seating position here. <laughs> you are always welcome to give a Spana TED Talk in my presence. Uh, yes, <laughs> Hannah says Christmas is wherever they are just as Spana is about to declare their love for coffee and each other, the gesture shows up. Okay. <laughs> Strap in everybody. <laughs> So it's suddenly, suddenly, suddenly it's like there's like a, there's like a shift in the air. It's like, it's like, it's like the wind, the wind has picked up some snow flurries and something is changing. And we look to the stairs and everyone is in their underwear. And it's, it's, it's inexplicable. It's bizarre. It's upsetting. It's, 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 it's somewhat nauseating. Whose idea was this? Who bought this stuff? What are the circum what were the circumstances of getting dressed? Why is everyone okay with this? Ezra is their adult man English teacher and he is wearing underwear in front of all of his students. 
and everybody is just so okay with it. I think that like they must be stoned. <laughs> like this is just like this is so weird. And I just I have so many questions. What happens after this? Do they all just go into separate rooms and have sex? Like do they all have sex? Do they all have sex with each other? Like what 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 why how? Oh, oh, you know, I'm going to say there is a Toby Caleb fic on uh, on AO3 that is about uh, Caleb having to help Toby into the Santa boxers (laughs) because Toby has a broken leg. Um, So, yeah, if if that's your jam, uh, it it is a good question. What exactly happens next? Why did this happen? Uh, Why do the liars seem to like it? Is it like a mass hysteria situation? I mean, I I just feel like I don't really like the idea of a gesture present anyway. Uh, but like, not only was the gesture thing going on, but now it's like all the other liars have to have a gesture as well. You get a gesture, and you get a gesture, and everybody gets a gesture. And uh, yikes! I wish it were just I wish it were just Paige standing there in her undershirt and her Santa hat. Also, I think it's kind of whack that she has to wear an undershirt. She can't wear a sports bra. Like, all these dudes are showing their abs. Like That's true. That's true. Yeah, everybody is just so okay with it. I mean, that's the thing. It's like they're proud of it. They're mm-hmm. proud of it. They should not be proud of this. Ezra should not be proud of this. And wh- here's a question. What does Paige think of Ezra? I mean, I don't know. Not only is he their adult man English teacher, but he's also their adult man English teacher who we know was stalking them all for a true crime novel yes. he was writing for, you know, whatever. Also, I don't think that his torso has a scar on it here, despite the fact that he was <laughs> martyred in a shooting. Uh, like a, He allegedly took a bullet for them. Yeah, approximately two minutes ago. Uh, but I do like Paige in her undershirt and uh, standing with her hands on her hips like Wonder Woman. Uh, and the liars a- appear to love it as well. <laughs> Apparently, they couldn't film this on the same, like, these were filmed at separate times because um, the the actresses who play the liars were laughing so hard (laughs) at the sight of all of them lined up that they had to film it separately. And I guess especially um, Keegan Allen, like, in in the crutch, like, Tiny Tim in the boxers (laughs) on the stairs was just making everyone laugh so much. I just, I feel like Toby and Caleb hate Ezra. You know, like, I feel like they just hate him. And he's always like, hey, guys, what you guys doing? You guys going to see that that new Avengers movie? You guys, like, the Avengers are still cool, right, guys? Right, guys? Hey, do you guys do hacky sack? I did hacky sack. Is that still a thing? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely do think there's a dynamic there. Also, Ezra is like, uh, he's so proud of himself. He's so pleased with himself and his Santa boxers. And I just. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness! Uh. Oh my god! Well, well, just wait till we get to Christmas chicken, <laughs> which he has to he has to present with a with a flourish. <laughs> Oh god. Okay. Have okay. have yourself a merry little Christmas plays as the liars proceed to make the Yuletide gay. Um they prepare dinner and decorate Toby's cast like a candy cane. Uh Spencer serves him tea as they watch old black and white movies. Paige confesses to Emily uh, that her parents don't think Rosewood is a safe place anymore. (laughs) Looks like someone finally caught up. Uh, And they want her to move to California. Emily's sad. She thought they'd have more time. 
uh, Hannah sits in front of a raging fire and looks sadly at a picture of Mona on her phone. She tells Caleb that Mona should have been there. Only reason they're celebrating is because of her. Caleb hugs her tightly and she pretends that he's Mona. Uh, <laughs> or, or Spencer. Yeah. You know. yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it's really funny. Like it's, we're continuing the Vander Jesus metaphor here. Like they're celebrating Christmas. And the only reason they're celebrating Christmas is because Mona died. Yeah. For their sins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Caleb says nothing because what can he say? Um, everybody applauds Ezra's Christmas chicken. Do not encourage this monster. Oh yeah. He's like, acting like a big damn hero for cooking <laughs> Christmas chicken. <laughs> yes. And the way he does it, it's like a Christmas chicken. Like he's so, <laughs> he's so proud of himself. Arya doesn't even eat chicken. And Arya who demands that everyone says a prayer. Oh um, yeah. Also, I mean, Ezra is an adult. I am sure he has made chicken before. <laughs> Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um, also, I think he probably bought booze for all of them. Oh, well, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and felt really cool about it. <laughs> um, Allie looks on in sadness. Uh, they are all having such a good time, but this dinner seems really uncomfortable. Um, and then Emily calls them a family and is smiling hugely, which feels a little insensitive considering Paige's recent news. Yeah, true. I I do uh, have a note on the seating arrangement, which is that Spencer is sitting on the queer side of the table with Emily and Paige, <laughs> possibly so she can stare into Hannah's eyes. Uh, also, I feel like it is on brand for Caleb having the least toxic masculinity to not be fighting for a place at the head or the foot of the table like the other dudes um poor Allie outside the window peering in like a, a beggar at the feast um or you know maybe just wishing she had some food uh but as <laughs> as she walks away we see that the snow that has shut everything down and locked up all methods of transport is not even an ankle deep it impedes <laughs> Allie's walking not at all I mean I am from the Midwest I I am appalled that they did not try harder to make there be like waist deep snow outside. Uh, but no, no, there's not. It's like uh, it's like brushing the bottoms of her boots. Uh, maybe it's like maybe it's like it's it's like that until you get to like the town lines of Rosewood, and then it just like it's just like an like an easy you know small amount. Oh, of, like Rosewood of is snow. like under the dome, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Regarding Emily's toast to the, this family, maybe we always stay together. Uh, I would like to point out that this magical wish works for every single other couple at this table except <gasps> her. All oh, the life of a queer woman on TV. True. Yes, Emily's Emily's version of happily ever after involves a forced pregnancy and a pug sweatshirt proposal. Lahayam. <laughs> but you know, that's that that's what Emily gets. Um and then we have this moment where there's like a flash of something in the fireplace and Hannah says oh, Santa and jingle bells on the roof. Oh yes. There you go. There we go. Um, I am like, I feel like Hannah is written as like slightly too dumb in this episode. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's cute, but it's borderline like Hannah's a little kid, which I'm not really a fan of when the show dips into that well. Um, 
Also, I just had to say I'm slightly disappointed in myself that I haven't written a fanfic taking place over the course of this episode yet. Um, that might be something I have to remedy at some <laughs> point. Um, go outside. There is suddenly a decorated tree in the oh, yard. Oh, yeah. Well, they go outside where we can clearly see that it's like maybe half an inch of fake snow, which again does not impede their foot traffic and a car should be just fine. <laughs> The the, the right. fake snow it, also it, it doesn't make it cold as Emily and Hannah have bare arms and no jackets. <laughs> yep, and Toby is apparently totally oh, fine. Yeah. He's just hobbling yeah. around, totally fine. Uh, and we get a message. What does the message say? Merry Christmas, bitches! Hey, um, I, I love everything about this. I love the idea that Charlotte was out here decorating a tree for like hours and none of them looked out the window and saw her. And I, I also, well, and I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that in this moment we're supposed to be like, well, Allison was just out in the yard. Maybe it was Allison. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I do love the idea that Charlotte was just like hanging out like, oh, well, and I also love the way that, like, the liars are, like, really, like, happy and thrilled about the decorated tree. Like, it's a Christmas miracle before yeah. the lights with the message come on that give them, like, okay, I, I mean, who, who do you think did this tree? You're lucky the tree didn't, like, explode or burst into flames yep. or, like, pelt ornament glass at you. Like, I don't know who you think is, uh, <laughs> is up to this. Also, I have to say that this uh, this tree and light situation, that is a gesture. I, I mean, wow. Charlotte yep. made them that nice snow globe and set them up to get it from Santa. She's been keeping Mona in the dollhouse, which they probably had to decorate for the holidays. She found that <laughs> great fur hood cape for the ice ball and the silver eye mask makeup that she was wearing. She stalked them with a knife and maybe planted the fake Bethany letters for them to find. She probably just ran out of time to do holiday cards. You know, it happens. So she created this lovely light display instead. And doesn't the terse poetry of Merry Christmas bitches really encapsulate the feeling of festive fatigue a person can suffer in the run-up to the holidays? I think it does. Well, you know, it's no gold falafel as the <laughs> But um, but it but it but it has its, it it has its certain charm. I also love that Carol of the Bells is playing during this because that's that's always like the most tense Christmas song, <laughs> the one that like invokes the most anxiety in a person. Um, and so and and I love all of this shot of all of the couples cozying up in concern, and we pan over them like we're in a soap opera. <laughs> And everyone is like spooked and sad. No, this is a good example of how nothing good can happen without the shadow of A intruding. Like they've had this really nice, right. uh, this really nice friend Christmas together and there was this pretty tree and then, oh, boom, it was like about A. But like I said before, like who do they think did this tree situation? Elves, cartoon mice. Of course it was A. Like how long have you been on this show? Right. Uh, you're lucky the tree who is not <laughs> rigged to explode. Um but yeah, that that is the episode, and uh. we don't get an A tag because this is basically our A tag. Yeah, I don't even remember if we were doing A tags at this point in the series. Oh, I couldn't tell you either. I would, but I mean, what 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 better note to end on for this episode than you know? Oh, I know. Merry Christmas, bitches. So my question, and I and I actually I know my answer. 
I feel like Pretty Little Liars is better suited to a Halloween episode than a Christmas episode. Well, yes, but I feel like the novelty of the Christmas episode is what made this one so bonkers. I, I, yes, I also I feel like this style of writing, this, uh, this particular style of like just throw a bunch of crap in there, it doesn't actually like matter if there are longstanding ramifications or not. Like, this style of writing is pretty fun for an episode. This is a fun episode to watch because it's, it's totally. so uh, berserk. But this style of writing, like, this is like the canary in the coal mine uh, that shows us what these later yeah. seasons are actually going to be like. And when you take all of the stuff that's packed in this episode and you try to, like, spread it out over a season and a half, like... Uh, really really thin cream cheese on a really big piece of toast uh it just it doesn't work as well that's my feeling no i agree i mean the the reason why i the reason why i sort of pit the holidays against each other is that i think that halloween obviously has an inherent spookiness to it that i think is a much better match for the show part of what i think doesn't work about this episode actually uh is not just the poor storytelling but it's that the show is trying to sort of balance this earnestness Uh, And this holiday spirit with all of the normal, like, A shenanigans. And that's where I think it actually, the the tonal shifts are, I think, what what actually are really hold this episode back in a big way. Um, That being said, it's still a very fun and ridiculous and hilarious. Well, yeah, they have, like, three different movie tributes going on. They have uh, Allie, who's stuck in a Christmas carol with the ghost of Queer Miss Past haunting her. Uh, and then yep. you also have uh, Toby and Spencer doing Rear Window, and you also have uh, the whole Breakfast at Tiffany's shtick uh, that's going on with Allie and right. the Holly Varjack passport. So I really feel like when you can't even decide which movie or which genre of movie uh, you're you're going yeah. for in in your holiday episode, uh, I, I definitely feel like you're you're losing some ground. <laughs> I would like to pitch. Um, an alternative version of this episode, which would be, uh, don't do the tributes that you did, but do an "It's a Wonderful Life" uh. tribute. But it's all, but it's all about what their lives would have been like. Either you could pick two, either without Mona or without Allison. And it's a standalone episode. It's completely abs- like outside of the timeline. We're not trying to fit in all of this like continuity stuff. It's just completely a uh, special where we're just reimagining a different uh, different timeline. Well, thanks a lot. Now I want to read that fic. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have been better. I really do. I think that, I think that, um, or, or a first secret type episode where we're doing a, a tall and flashback. I think that feeling the need to sort of carry on the continuity, I get that because of the fans and all of that, you know, people were always clamoring for them to keep going and everybody would have been mad that it didn't, carry on but i i actually think that that would have been um it would have been like a like a short film Mm -hmm. you know um and uh and i think that that it's a wonderful life model i just rewatched that movie that's such a great movie and um i think that that model actually would have fit in really well with pretty little liars i think a lot of the the themes of that movie would have fit in well and it's it's a really easy format to kind of adapt for um for for any kind of storyline so yeah yeah i love that idea that's that's my pitch you know (laughs) however many years too late (laughs) oh well here we have it our christmas episode our christmas podcast um 
Hmm. Did you decide? Oh, yeah, you did decide on a present for Allison. I just wanted to make sure. Uh... Yeah, eventually I did. Eventually I did. Yes, this is this is an interesting era for Allison. Definitely. She is she is becoming more the 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 Allison of later seasons where they just are continuing to not know really what to do with yeah her. yeah i do feel like making her possibly go insane uh was was an interesting choice uh i like it better here than i than i do later on um but yeah i think that uh i think this was a, a fun episode to watch and i'm super glad we got to talk about it yeah i am too this is a really really fun one um uh, and it was fun to jump into a later seasons episode um, if you have thoughts on the liars Christmas presents on what, um, what movies you wish they would have done a, done a take on anything like that, feel free to send us an email at everybody, at gmail.com. We will be back in what? Three weeks. Yes. Um, yes. Um, with, with moments uh, later, the, the moments later, the second half of one B also feel free to check out our Instagram, which is at everybody, a podcast. Yes. And, uh, until next time, Merry Christmas, bitches. <laughs>